Hey guys, it's Scott from fxmissions.com. Just a note, I've finished the trilogy of anthologies from the forefront, and all three books are currently available on Amazon. Welcome to From the Forefront, an FX Missions podcast. Stories about courageous souls who felt the call of missions and obeyed. Scott McClelland here with your From the Forefront. From FX Missions, thanks for jumping in with us. We got the privilege of having a second go-round here with Tony Hedrick today. Tony, welcome. Hey, thank you. Glad to be here. Let, let me say happy birthday, too. <laughs> I'm getting there, but I don't want to know about it. I want to see this breeze on by. Yeah, no. Man, Thank you're you getting good at these birthdays. Yeah. You're getting good at them, yeah. and they're just—they just come and you just mastering birthday after birthday. I, I feel you, that way myself. About the time <laughs> you get really good at it, there are no more. They're done. <laughs> anyway. Into eternity, into eternity <laughs> we gotta, go. You got to make hay while the sun shines, brother. Make hay while the sun shines. Absolutely. Well. Thanks for being here. Thank you. We didn't quite get through all the material we were shooting for last time, sure. but it was a good time and really enjoyed it. Wanted to give it a, another go here and see if we couldn't talk uh, into some of your specific times in Italy. Right. I remember you were at our bro summit. I guess it would have been some few months back now and told a story about you getting to Italy. I know we talked a little bit on the other session, uh, one prior to this about how you felt the calling to go to Italy. You were in your 50s. You kind of were doing a restart at the time. Like <laughs> like often is the case, uh, you know, we have to head out into a new direction uh, that the Lord's leading us in, which is always challenging and frightening. And then, then we do it, and the Lord sure. seems to meet us, and we go from there. So if you don't mind, let's let's rewind a little bit, give a real quick encapsulation of what happened there around the year 2000 for you and uh, your transition. If we could start from your transition and go into your first days there in Italy, that'd be awesome. Well, you know, I, what I've been doing is I've been teaching in a kind of a missionary preparatory Bibles college that prepared people for uh, being missionaries and the missionary service. And I'd done this trip with my son to see where he had done his internship and after I'd gone through about six, seven nations of Europe, I ended up going across to Italy. And on the way over mm -hmm. to Italy, the Lord captured my heart. And uh, I felt I was very comfortable teaching. I loved lecturing. I loved the students. Mm -hmm. I had a, I had an income. My wife had an income. We had a house payment, you know, like everybody. And I finally felt mm -hmm. pretty settled. I felt like at 54, I could kind of settle back now and retire and go fishing in the summer and working the, through the school term, you know, and have long Christmas breaks. <laughs> and so when I come <laughs> home from that experience in Italy where the Lord got hold of me, it just, my heart went out to the Italian people. And a lot of people don't understand this about Italy. Italy's largely, like most of Western Europe, it's anti-theistic. It's, uh, even though people are baptized Catholic, the churches are pretty empty. I'm, I mean, if the Pope comes to town, everybody will show up because he's the Pope. But generally speaking, the people you meet aren't uh, aren't generally responsive to the gospel. They don't even know what the gospel is. Oftentimes, they're totally mm. confused because they're 
mostly steeped in tradition and religion and superstition and that sort of thing. And actually, as I may have mentioned, the occult sciences are way bigger in Italy than than Christianity. Jehovah's Witnesses are much mm. larger than evangelical faith in Italy. So wow. uh, mm. I had no idea when I went there that it was like that. But when when I saw the landscape, the spiritual landscape, my heart just went out to them. I said, we've got so many churches. We just fat with hearing, fat with buildings, fat with, you know, we just got so many. We yeah. got bookstores and Christian books and concerts and musicians and air conditioning and padded pews and campgrounds and Bible colleges, seminaries. They don't have, they don't even have books. So I, my heart went out to that and I went home and I, I think I told you, I told Jeannie and Jeannie's kind of a, she's an editor and I'm an artist. She's an editor and, and proofreader and a fairly analytical person. It takes her a little while. I'm an extrovert. She's an introvert and it takes her a little while to process. But in about two or three days, as usual, whenever we planted churches, it was very similar. Or when we moved to plant a church, she has to process it. And she came back out and she said, well, you know, I don't know what this will cost us. I don't know where we get the money to live on or how to go, how you'll be able to do this. But we're going to trust the Lord. We always have. And we'll throw ourselves on the Lord and see what happens if that's what God's called you to do. Well, I couldn't, Scott, I couldn't get out of teaching that quick. You know, it's not, you're teaching six, yeah. you're yeah. Teaching six courses a, a year, three per semester. You don't have the, just the freedom. It's pretty hard to bail out on that. So. I also had yeah, to kind of yeah. raise some money to do this. So it took me really about mm -hmm. three years to transition out of teaching to where I was totally doing missionary work. Mm -hmm. But what I wanted to do is I, I was so excited about this. I started learning Italian in the house yeah. with, a, with a dictionary and tapes. You know how people do. And I, went yeah, yeah, the, yeah. And I was practicing the words. I was saying like uh, Alpine, uh, <laughs> saying the tapet. Oh, you know, and laying in my bed, Linzuolo, and, you know, trying to learn these Italian nouns, mostly. So my heart was just going in that direction. And I thought, okay, I'm going to have to start going to Italy on my own and figuring this out. So in the summers, the first summer I went, I went to Trieste, Italy, because I only knew one person in Italy. And I'd only met him on a short-term trip. And I said, well, I'm going to go to uh, Trieste, Italy, where I know somebody. And I went there for 43 days. And I, uh, Tri Trieste. 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 Well, Am I saying that right? Yeah, Trieste. It's right above the – it's at the top of the Adriatic. It's at the top of the mm. Sock, they call it. And the wind comes right wow. up there in October and just blows you off the street. It's, it's, a, it's a city, an international city. Lots okay. of nations have controlled Trieste. It's kind of Croatian, Slovenian – Austrian Italian city, but mm -hmm. you know there's there's greatly Italian Italian influenced because they brought in quite a few people from Sicily years ago to give it more of an Italian base. Brought them over to Trieste, yeah. and so Trieste was uh, had enough Italian that I could practice my Italian, and so I I went there and lived in a pensione, and you'll remember the war there in in the Balkans, which was uh, yeah. late 1990s, and the the war had been pretty much settled. But there in the Pensione where I stayed, we had Bosnians and Croats and Serbians and all of these people who were sort of refugees. And so it was a rough time. I was wow. isolated, didn't know the language. I was trying to do ministry. And before I had gone, I may be talking too much, but before I had no, gone, uh, 
a, a Christian lady, actually the wife of a pastor from Toronto, an Italian. I was so excited to meet her. I met her in Boston for dinner with another couple who introduced us, and I sat next to her. I was so thrilled to be going to Italy. I had such a heart for the Italians. Now, I'm, I'm talking to a first-generation Italian Christian. And she looked at me while I'm having my supper, and my enthusiasm just kind of maybe overwhelmed her. She said, <laughs> what on earth do you think you can do? <laughs> she said, you don't even know the language. There have been people there for 200 years, and they haven't made a difference. And I went, oh, my goodness. I said, it just felt like a wet, you know, somebody just threw a wet blanket on it. And uh, it was just so discouraging. And then it wasn't long after that, a friend of mine, when I sent out letters for support, he called me up and said to me on the phone, I'm talking about a guy who I've known for a long time. And he said to me, he said, why should I give you money to go live on the Italian Riviera? I want to go live on the Italian Riviera. Well, my (laughs) goodness, that just gets to you stuff like that. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, missionaries go through this all the time. They, they, the devil is very active. The, the life expectancy of a missionary in Italy is only four years, one term. It's just so uh, tough. It's a very tough environment. I got over there at Trieste and there by myself and being isolated. And I went back and forth there for four years. And I remember one night waking up at about four in the morning, which, you know, here it would have been 10 at night. And uh, I woke up at four in the morning and I was freaked right out. I was just sick at my stomach. I wanted to vomit. I really did. I, I'm, I know that if you've been a missionary long term, you'll know what I'm talking about. People who live here in America have never experienced this isolation, won't know what I'm talking about. But having no yeah. success in ministry, none, not finding my way, having no connections, being in a place I, I knew nothing about. It was like living as a mute I woke up and those words came back to me. What do you think you can do? And then why should I give you money to go live on the Italian river? It was just like the devil was just saying that I was so discouraged. I was ready to quit. I said, well, maybe I got this all wrong. Maybe I, and that's why you're sick at your stomach. You think maybe I got this all wrong. Maybe I didn't hear the Lord at all. I didn't know what to do. A friend of mine, the next few days wrote to me by email. And they didn't know where I was in Italy. I mean, I was way across the country from Napoli. I was in the north. Napoli's in the south. And they said, well, if you're ever in Napoli, see my friends. And they gave me the names. I won't say it on the air, but yeah, right, right. active in mission, great people. And yeah. said, why don't you go down and see them? And I thought, okay, this is it. <laughs> I said, the Lord's helping me. Praise God. The Lord's coming. Yes. Hallelujah. I'd even called my wife and asked her to pray. I said, this is it. So I rushed around, got a plane ticket from Venice and flew to Naples and they met me. And I stayed three days and preached in their church. And when I got those three days in, I thought to myself, this, this is not it. What am I going to do now? This is not, (laughs) this is not where I had no sense of peace. You know, Mm -hmm. this is Mm -hmm. all right, but it's not what, it's not where I'm fitting. This isn't the place. Yeah, yeah. Always, you'll remember in Scripture that everybody experiences that are, go- are going to matter for God. They're they're going to walk with a limp. You know, they're, yes. J- Jacob wrestled with God and he walked away with a limp, but his name was changed. And Abraham had a death of a vision. You know, he God told him something. Mm-hmm. But God has to kill our vision often. Mm-hmm. And this is what people don't understand. God has to kill our vision to raise it up. 
he has to kill our vision in order to get his his vision. And so yeah. that's what happened to me there. I, my vision was killed. It, it was just like taking Isaac up to the mountain and putting, you know, this was my Isaac. And yeah. so that's that's it. So uh, I went to the airport with them to go back to Trieste because I only had a few days left. I, I was going to go back down and fly home in a few days after packing my stuff up in Trieste. And so as I got out of the airplane, as I got out of the car to go to the airplane, the, the lady who I had been staying with, her and her husband, she rolled down the window and said to me, she said, now, look, if you're ever in Parma, Italy, see my friends. Now, these names I'm happy to say, which is Aldo and Mariella Cerasino. They've just mm. gone there to plant a church. If you're ever in Parma, you know something, Scott, that the key in ministry successfully is really hearing the voice of the Lord. The, and the Lord mm. said to them, the voice of the Lord said unto them, this is the key. If you look at Acts 58 times, uh, the Spirit of God said something or did something. And I've gotten used to the idea that God speaks. If you're saved, God spoke to you. Yeah. If you're yeah. called to ministry, God, why did you do FX missions? It's because God spoke to you. Yeah. Called? Yeah. It doesn't make any sense, but God called you to. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense why anybody would want to go to Thailand or Myanmar or to the Arab world, but God speaks to us. He speaks today. But I think we don't listen. So many people out there who are listening right now, God's speaking to them, but they're afraid to take him up on it. You know, mm. they hear all of the negative yeah. things and they won't do it. But you won't have any yeah. stories unless you try them out. You'll die without your story. So <laughs> I said, I'm 72 today, so I can say that. You die without your story. And I got lots of them. So when I heard uh. that Parma, Mariela and Aldo and Mariela Cerasino, I went back to Trieste and I picked up the phone. I got their phone number on a piece of paper. I called him and I said, uh, look, uh, he spoke very broken English. I said, do you understand me? He says, yes, I, I understand you. <laughs> I said, would you mind? It's I, It takes a while for me to get down there, but would you mind if I came down to Parma and I met you? Because I think the Lord spoke to me to come to meet you. He says, oh, we would love to have you. So <laughs> the next day I'm on a train. Knowing that I have to leave in three days, I went straight to Parma, and I met this fellow and his wife in their apartment. I stayed the night. The night was so hot, I can't believe it's still a memory to me how hot it was that night. And in the morning, we had coffee, and as we had coffee, our hearts were bound together. And I began to then go to Parma rather than Trieste. And that was the beginning of what we're doing in Italy today. We now have a church in Parma, get this, a church of over 200. In a, in a country where the average church is about 25 or 30, we have a church of 200 in Parma. We have another church in Fidenza now of about 50 or so people. And mm -hmm. we have now a mission society where Aldo became one of the principal guys along with me and another fellow named Francesco Arbortivi. We became partners, and now we have over 20 full-time workers from Rome all the way up to the uh, Swiss border. So God, that, that was what God did. And now I've been there 18 years. The first four years was like, it was like hell. Yeah. It was like voices wow. in the night and everything just terrible. But now we have life. We're doing life-giving ministry in a lot of different ways. So that's a long, quick story. But just listening <laughs> to the voice of God on that. 
Wow. So Trieste, you were you were back and forth from Trieste for those first four years. Yep. And really to the point where you said, I don't know what it is, but I know this ain't it. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. you had you you run your course in Trieste yeah. and I guess you know those transitions recently talked to a guy had an interview with a guy who said transition moments are defining moments. Wow, that's true. And I I think that's what happened there is transition was about to happen <laughs> one way or the other. You'd come to the end of yourself and your own personal uh, sort of maybe even your human enthusiasm. And well, I think I think step. what happens too is you say, "What have I done? I've made a terrible mistake mm. here." You know, when you when you don't yeah. see things turn out just hunky dory. And I said, "Well, Lord, I." I, I asked him for a word on this. You know, I said, what are you trying to show me? Yeah. He said, he yeah. said, and then in the night, I got a word from the Lord, throw your net on the other side of the boat. I said, what on earth? Throw your mm. net on the other side of the boat. What are you trying to say? He was telling me that Americans have tried to do evangelism and mission in Italy and Europe, generally, the American style. We tried to go in like mm. the like the Second World War with our we have know-how. There's no question. We Americans have know-how. They said, you have been top down. <laughs> Americans have been top down. Every time they go somewhere, they're going to plant a church similar to what they have back home. They're going to do it the back home style. They've got all the answers. We've got all the books. We've got all the resources. Don't do that. I'm calling you to go and to come up underneath them and to resource what's there. Mm-hmm. You're going to be bottom up, not top down. And I thought, well, how's that going to work? And that's exactly what we've done. We've just gone in and resourced the people that are there. We have a few American missionaries, but most of our missionaries are nationals. And all they needed was somebody to come along, not to tell them what to do and run things, but just come along and say, yeah. I'm going to be your brother. I'm going to partner with you. If your heart's is my heart, then give me your hand. And now we've got connections, not just our missionaries, but churches that People aren't even affiliated with us, but resourcing churches just by saying, we're here to support you and help you get the job done. And that was how our ministry has grown in Italy. The reason we keep failing there is we do it the American style. We we try to do it the way we see church being done, and that's not how Italians and Europeans respond. They respond relationally. You just don't go in and roll over Europeans. Mm. They're skeptical. They're cynical. They've had been ruined by the church. They've been mistreated by the church. They they don't go for that the top-down stuff. And so I think that was what the Lord yeah. showed me. That's made the difference. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. The net on the other side there. I mean, that's the, the ultra classic. That has so many applications beyond. In my life, it's had a number of applications, yours, and I guess— and so many believers, we we've been we've been fishing <laughs> on the wrong side of the boat. You know, we've been looking for results in a place exactly. we're never going to get them. And then the Lord interjects with just a bit of wisdom, and uh, you know, it changes things. Yeah, He says, "I just want you to do it backwards." It doesn't it doesn't make any sense? <laughs> but we're not going to. You know, what we don't do just to let people know is that. Adventive, ACCI, is a not a mission agency. We're not centrally driven. We're not like right. – there's nothing wrong with Frontiers. There's nothing wrong with, wrong with uh, Campus for Christ. There's nothing wrong with 
Wycliffe, all of these different missions, but they, they are centrally driven by and large. They, they have a vision for yeah. what they want to do. Frontiers wants to reach Muslims in cities of over 700,000. They know what they want to do, and it's driven, mm-hmm. that vision is driven by a central office somewhere. We don't do that. We look for entrepreneurs right. who have a call of God on their lives, and they don't seem to fit. <laughs> so we have business <laughs> as missions people. We have uh, community development people. We have medical people. We have orphanage, uh, human relief, people relief ministries going on. We have uh, evangelists. We have musicians. We have uh, Jewish people who teach Torah. We have all kinds of people, yes. and we work with all kinds of denominations. We're not trying to plant Baptist churches or Pentecostal churches or or charismatic churches mm-hmm. or reformed churches. We're we're trying to extend the kingdom of God. The kingdom yeah. of God. So if we meet people who are maybe say their formation is more like holiness Methodist or more like reform, as long as their hearts are warm, we're warm hearted and congenial and can mm-hmm. work as colleagues We'll join hands with them because they are God's. We don't have the luxury there of picking and choosing who we're going to work with. We don't have the luxury of putting in, sorry for this, but Southern Baptist or Assembly of God or Christian Missionary Alliance churches. We don't have that luxury. We find those believers who will stand up for Christ and we say, you're trying to plant a little work here. You're trying to do the gospel here. How can we come along and partner with you and help you to get that done? And that's been that's the other side of the boat for us. Uh, it seems like to me that as you're saying, we don't do that. We don't have the luxury of doing that. It seems like in that environment where the gospel is trying to take roots in the hearts of people, it's not a it's not an environment of convenience, but rather maybe a little more an environment of necessity. And what I mean is the the sort of the central elements of the things that unite you as believers yeah. are fleshed out into the light and you you major on the exactly. majors instead exactly. of maybe in a more comfortable, convenient yeah. and pick and choose environment, more of buffet yeah. style environment, yeah. we can tend to go to preference much yeah. quicker. I think all of us are, you know, there there's a line. I think for for us, even in AC set, there's a line we can't cross. We say you get to that sure. place, you're not in two cannot walk together unless they be agreed. And when there's doctrinal issues that are so far from us, we can't Mm -hmm. go there. But we don't we don't hold to minor doctrine. Like if you have your head covered or you speak in tongues or somebody Mm -hmm. believes in absolute, unconditional, eternal security and others don't. You know, we're we're not concerned about uh, we believe the scripture is true, completely true, but we believe we're fallible how we read it. So if we can identify yeah. on the Apostles' Creed, if we can identify together and mm-hmm. agree on the centrality of Christ, that we can mm. condemn sin and we can exalt Christ together, and we have good fellowship with one another, then that's what we aim for. And we tell all those who come to work with us, this is what you got to do. You, you can hold your private opinion. Mm. You can hold your, your convictions about minor doctrine, but you cannot impose them on other people. Yeah. You can't impose them. So that's worked out very, very well, I think. Sounds like a key to working in that kind of environment. I was recently interviewing with a guy who was pastoring in Rome for 10 years. I thought it was interesting. He talked a lot also about 
the occult practices, you know, and oh. the absence of spirituality. I think what, mm-hmm. you know, that reveals in Italy is that it's a, there's a hunger and thirst for the supernatural, there but is. there's no answer from a Christian or biblical or godly perspective in the vacuum of that present supernatural Christ. Right. Right. The false Christs are dragged in by the lot, it sounds right. like. Right, right. Wow. And, you know, the kingdom of God, uh, you and I, we know each other pretty well, so I can say the kingdom of God comes not in word, but mm. comes in power. Yeah. And the problem with evangelicals sometimes is that it's got to be both word and spirit. And yeah. a lot of the churches that go over there to plant churches are as dead as the Catholic Church. They're not dead, but they do everything through the mind gate. They do mm-hmm. everything through rationality, whereas the Catholic Church has has had a rational side, but a lot of their teachings are superstitious, they're fallacious, and people catch on. People, yeah. after the Enlightenment, they begin to read books and they say, we don't believe that, we don't believe this. So you've got to have good arguments about why we believe what we believe in the yeah. ascension of Jesus, the resurrection of Christ, the sinless nature of Jesus, his his uh, mm-hmm. sacrifice on the cross. We have to believe in the the incarnation. We have to believe in the virgin conception. Those are things that a lot of these people would would say. Oh yeah, the church says that, but we don't believe it. We've got to have good reasons why that's true. That's so. So the church needs to be reasonable, but it's not all about reason unless they mm-hmm. experience and encounter the presence of God. They won't come under mm-hmm. the kind of conviction they need to to be able to stand yeah. for Christ. They won't. You can fill somebody's yeah. heads, and that's what's wrong with America. I'll just say this to you and to anybody that's listening. Our churches are filled with people today who have uh, as, assented to the gospel. They have assented to the gospel, but they haven't received Christ. Are you talking about there, just as a point of clarification, you're talking about, I think— that people have come to a place of mental agreement. That's it, mental assent. Yeah, mental assent, where basically they, someone has come to the point where they said, oh, you know what, That I think that's true. But there's a difference you're saying there between just coming to a point of mental agreement but having received Christ. Elaborate right there. Well, they're not. it's not Christianity. I mean, the churches are filled with humanists. I, I, honestly, mm. I mean, I'm not against the church. I believe in the church. I'm a no, pastor. No, I, sure. I'm not sure, against absolutely. seminaries. I believe in seminaries. I'm a teacher. But sure. yeah. But the the heart of the gospel is not forgiveness. The heart of the gospel is surrender. The fruit of the gospel is forgiveness. We mm. preach in America, go on, get forgiveness, but be in rebellion. Be in rebellion. <laughs> Just do whatever you want to do. You got your white card. You got forgiveness. You got your white card. But don't ever surrender to the lordship of Jesus. Don't ever let him be king, whatever you do. Don't let that man reign over you. Don't let him reign over you. Wow. And so we've got people who go to church. They raise their hands. They sing the songs. They clap their hands. They say, praise the Lord. But there's, there's no discernible difference between them and the secular guy in terms of their worldview. I'm meeting young people under 30 years of age that hold to the same social compact as any anybody in our society that's not a Christian. They agree to the same things. Yeah. Uh, And, and, you know, the whole the whole issue is about homosexuality and homosexual marriage. And I don't care if this offends people or or abortion or all those things. 
that the Bible's not relevant for today. People are much more enlightened in the 21st, 22nd than they were, you know, 2000 years ago. Don't be crazy. There's a there's a lunacy about this. There's a yeah. mood, there's a spirit in the air that just takes that just completely seduces the spirit of seduction yeah. completely seduces yeah. people that people aren't any better than they were 2000 years ago. We're still sinners. Abortion happened then and God was still against it 2000 years ago. We had yeah. Nehru and we had people who were so wicked you can't believe it. And they would abuse yeah. children and children are being abused right in the schools by what's being taught. And, and mm. Christians said, oh, that's healthy. That's good. Nonsense. Here's what's happening in America is we're removing a childhood from people. We're removing childhood from children by exposing them to things that they ought not to even hear about. And they say, oh, well, they need to be told these things. Well, at six, seven, eight years old, they need to be told these things. No, it's unhealthy and it's sinful to do this. And I don't think our uh, universities and our educational programs and our government and our media, they're exposing people to things that they're going to have to answer for it. And the church has yeah. adopted this. They've adopted the world's social programs, the social uh, engineering. Yeah. And I, I just right. think we're in bad yeah. shape. I'm, I'm tracking with you and, uh, and in agreement, maybe not at the level of exposure you're talking about. I haven't maybe seen as much of it, but let, let's do this if we don't mind. We're going we're gonna to move to a close okay. because of your birthday. Happy birthday, Tony. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I want you to get on with the festivities of the day, and I know you've got things to do that uh, you've taken time out on this special day to be with us. If in this moment somebody is just listening and they're they're thinking, what if it's me who has come to a place of mental assent or just you know like argue? I've argued been argued down to a place of mental agreement about the gospel. But I've never met the Lord. I haven't been, I haven't been born again. I haven't been renewed. And there's someone wondering, you know, back and forth there. Take just a minute here, if you will, Tony, and and speak to that scenario. Well, you know, uh, let me just use appetite as an example. There's a difference between a sheep and a pig. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I think the Bible says, examine yourself to see if you be of the faith, except you be reprobates, except you be false gold, except you be false silver, mm. except you, you're filled with dross. You're not. Now, what does that mean? That a Christian's perfect? No, no. But our appetites have changed. The things you love are different. Mm. The people you want to be with are different. The place you want to go is different. The things you want to read are different. The things you want to see are different. You're offended by different things than what you once were. You see what I'm saying? That mm. if yeah. you have a, we raised pigs and we raised sheep at the same time. Well, we had pigs. Yeah. I'll tell you what, that we had a, we had a pig named Susie and I loved that pig. That pig knew when I was coming home and it would be on the road to meet me and just run right down the road <laughs> in front of me. And that pig sat on our front porch. Now we had other pigs down the pig lot, but sat on the front porch. But I'll tell you what. You let that pig out. If you didn't govern that pig, that pig would go to the lowest part of the barn lot and just wallow in the mud because that's the nature of that mm. pig. But we had yeah. sheep, and our sheep always wanted to be on high ground. They, they'd get in the rain, and they'd slide down, and they would get down the side of a hill, and they'd get in the mud. They'd get their wool all filled with mud, and they couldn't get turned over. <laughs> I'd have to go turn them over sometimes in the rain. 
But what they want to do is scamper back up to high ground. They yeah. didn't like the slop. They didn't like the pigsty. They could they could slide down in there, but they didn't want to stay there. And so mm. I, this may be too common and too rural for people living in a in a uh, elevated, sophisticated society and urban world. But I want to tell you something: that when a person is genuinely converted, I wasn't a Christian till I was thirty. I was raised in a Christian home. My dad was a, a Bible teacher, evangelist, and pastor. I heard the gospel breakfast, lunch, and supper. I went to church camp and prayer meetings and everything in the world, but I wasn't a Christian until I was 30. And I, mm. when I was 30, God convicted me of my sin, my separation from God, and I went to my knees of my heart. Mm. I went to the knees of my heart. And I said to God, I said, Jesus, you're Lord, I'm not Lord. You're Lord, I'm not Lord. I tried to govern my, I'm folding my cards right here, right now. I tried to play every hand I've been able to play. I've lost every hand. I'm done with it. I'm finished. A man has to come to the end of himself and throw himself upon the grace of God. And that's, I don't care who you are. You can be St. Paul. You can be anybody. You can be John Bunyan. You can be, you can be uh, John Wesley who had already, you know, he'd already been a graduate of Oxford. He's an ordained clergyman, but he was already in the ministry for eight years and he had to throw himself upon the gospel and he had to get saved. He was a minister, but he wasn't saved. Because mm. you have to come to the end of yourself and you have to say, it's not I, but Christ. It's not mm. I, but Christ. And that's what happened to me November the 9th, 1975 at 1145 in the morning. I bent mm. my knee. I was 30 years old. I bent my knee to Jesus. My wife did too. We began to follow wow. Christ. So now the decisions, all the decisions we've made in our lives about house, where do I buy a house? What kind of car do I buy? Who do I have for friends? Where do I go? What movies do I see? How do I spend my money? How do I spend my time? The first question we ask always in our hearts, we don't always do it perfectly. We say, Lord, what will honor you with these decisions? What will honor you with these decisions? And I think that's true. I'm always with young people and they say, oh, I've fallen in love and I want to get married. And I said, what did God say about it? Did God give you the green light on that? If he did, then go ahead. But we need to ask the Lord, who should I marry? What kind of job should I take? This is what it means to be. It isn't Sunday morning, 1030 to noon. That's not what it is. He, He invades and he imposes on every aspect of our lives, but he is life. He is this life and life eternal and the life to come. He's the life to come. And so we never caught that idea about what it means to be thoroughly Christian. We're almost Christians. Mm. Thou almost convinces me to become a Christian. (laughs) With a Brooklyn. Almost. Almost Christian. (laughs) Uh, You almost got enough there to make me want to be one. And we've got churches filled with people who are almost Christians. They're just Christian enough. They don't, they think they're just Christian enough. They won't go to hell. So that's my pitch. You're at, if you don't have the right, if you don't have the right appetites, then probably you're not a Christian. Right. There's the evidence there. And, and you know, it goes back to that key word you said, not assent or agreement, but surrender. Yep. It's absolutely true. If surrender is a word that threatens you, <laughs> you might not have surrendered. Yep. So, and obviously, we surrender is a way of life, and, and we grow into that. We got that big first surrender. Yeah. The old nature is working to try to challenge. It pulls us back all the time. The, the old yeah. flesh yeah. pulls us back. Yeah. 
But you know, yeah, but we we continue to surrender and we get better at it. Yeah. Is what I'm trying to say there. Yeah, if the mm-hmm. Lord says free, we're free indeed. He that the Son has set free is free indeed. And there's a sure. certain freedom. There's a, there's an incredible freedom being under the authority of Christ. There's an amazing freedom. Mm. You're not always living yeah, looking absolutely. over the back of your shoulder. People don't understand that. But there's a there's a different, fresh yeah. freedom that comes from doing the right things for the right reason. Right. That's what I would encourage people to do. That was a great appeal. Tony, thank you for sharing that and, and everything you've shared here. Great. Once again, let's say happy birthday, Tony. Right. Hope you have a great day, no. you and your family, and then with your recreation and whatnot that's going on with, with regard to that. Hope to see you soon as well. I'll be passing through. I'll be going to Mexico with you. Maybe you'll have to go to Italy with me. Come on. Come on. That needs to happen. Period. End. All right. Thank you, Lord. Give us grace and make it happen. But until then, we'll we'll try to double back down range and see how you're doing and and what the Lord's doing with you. Appreciate once again, you being here. We thank you for joining from the forefront presented by FX missions. If you'd like to contact me or us, please do so at fxmissions.com. Till next time. Have a good one. This podcast made possible through the partnership of engaging mission show, bringing missions home, and encouraging you to hear a message, make connections, and take action. Find out more at engagingmissions.com. Thanks for joining us for the FX Missions podcast from the forefront. If you'd like to find out more about FX Missions, please do so at our blog, fxmissions.com. With quite a bit of content out there, we hope you enjoy it. Also, If you'd like to rate us on iTunes or whatever podcast service you use, we would really appreciate it. And find out more about today's guest at our Facebook page. Just search for From the Forefront on Facebook. If you know of someone who should be featured on From the Forefront because of their Forefront missions experience or exploits, please reach out to us at info at fxmissions.com. Thanks again for joining us. And until next time, I'm Scott McClelland, and you have a good one.